Welcome to the TCO Method, the only show focused on helping you massively increase your net operating income. I am Andy McQuaid, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Tuesday episode. It is June 20th, 2023, and I want to talk about everybody's favorite topic, deferred maintenance. Near and dear to my heart, because it costs people a lot of money, and it's not always apparent when you're looking at a pro forma for a property. So, let's have a chat about what it looks like in multifamily. I have worked in my career, mostly on the sales side, thank God, some operators who believed that fixing roof leaks by putting on new roofs and Repair, replacing or repairing major mechanical systems when they failed, like furnaces and boilers and hot water tanks, meant that they weren't deferring maintenance. Literally, they would have 10 or 15-year-old 18-ounce polyester carpet covered in stains in these apartments, and they wouldn't replace them during a unit turn. They would, instead of repainting an entire wall or repainting an apartment, after four or five years, they would buy matching paint, the cheapest stuff they could possibly find, and just touch up the worst parts. Some of these apartments literally looked like they had leopard spots on the walls. Others, they would apply the paint so thin you could see through the paint. And still others would take whatever hard surface floor they had in there and instead of removing the floor that was full of holes, they would just lay another sheet of rolled vinyl flooring on top of it. And you could, after a few months, you could actually see the holes and tears and issues with the prior sheet coming through the new sheet. Kids... That is literally the definition of deferred maintenance, okay? Only fixing the things that are catastrophic and not maintaining the quality of the property means that you're slowly, over time, eroding the quality of the building, of the unit, of the property. And I've seen people do it you know, before a sale, so they can increase NOI. They can put their, you know, deferred maintenance cap on and really only repair the major stuff that's costing them money or that could be catastrophic and, and then leave the rest of it for the next guy. They have to do it for about 12 months for it to show up on whatever paperwork they're going to provide for the sale. And of course, new investors always come in, and if they're not savvy, or they're not playing, you know, the value add play, they're going to look at the pro forma and be like, oh, this looks good. And then, you know, once they close, they'll find out that, oh, really nothing's been done for 20 years except for paint and caulk, maybe replacing you know, a, a, a valve and a leaky faucet. And all of a sudden, their numbers don't work for a little while because 
they have a CapEx project now that they weren't planning on doing. Because it's a nightmare. Now, sometimes it's big stuff. Sometimes it's easy to see, right? 25-year-old furnace, 8-year-old hot water tank. Maybe there's a boiler system from the 60s in there. It just depends on the building, when it was built, where it's located, all that stuff. Every, every, every complex is different. Crap. There's even complexes that were built, you know, by private, private owners over 10 or 15 years with three or four different building designs and layouts and nine or 10 different apartment layouts. It just is what it is. And you never know what you're going to get into when you start popping things open in those. The real issue is that people just aren't aware of the kind of damage that the deferred maintenance does. Can easily take a B unit to a C or a D in 10 or 15 years, depending on the class of tenant, depending on the location, and depending on just what they defer. Right? There are things that need to be done to, to keep a property at its actual initial value to market and i'm not saying specifically dollars but strong operators are not going for 10 years without a, a rent increase just because they haven't done a complete rehab they're raising rents two to three percent every year to keep up with inflation now when inflation's eight and a half nine percent or what is it now five a little over five when it's like that, it's a, it's a different conversation. But you still need to be keeping up with the cost of expenses. And it's just part of life. Right? Nobody likes passing on rent increases to people. But if you do it a little bit at a time, you're not going to get the sticker shock. Oh my God, I'm moving out. When you try to raise your rent 15% after not touching it for five years or 10 years. That's common sense. Nobody likes sticker shock. You do it a little bit at a time, everything gets more expensive over time. That's life. Anyway, the other thing I see that involves deferred maintenance is going to be the operators that are out there on Instagram and on Facebook and on TikTok and whatever, trying to get people to invest with them, trying to get people to give them money, trying to get people to follow their stuff so they can make money monetizing their YouTube channels and their podcast and all this other crap. Saying stuff like, I operate my properties at 30%. You what? Like, the 50% rule is a thing. And it doesn't always apply to every single property. But 30% is a little extreme. Either your math is wrong, you're lying, or you're stupid. Stupid is good, because it creates opportunity for people who aren't stupid. 40% is doable for a short period of time. Seen a lot of syndicators when, when syndication first started becoming a thing before the pandemic where they would say, oh yeah, we're going to do this and we're going to turn this property and because of our systems and our volume and our this and our that, we operate these properties at 40%. You operate them into the ground at 40% maybe. Anyway, what's deferred maintenance? Since I sort of jumped the gun on that one, deferred maintenance is when you have a property, you have an asset, you have a portfolio, you know it requires 48 to 54% of gross revenue to operate your property. You're looking for ways to cut expenses because your budgets are stupid for whatever reason. 
something's wrong somewhere in your operation. And so you decide of all the things you could save money on, you're going to save money on maintenance to get in line with your budget. Okay, so you defer maintenance. And it could be stupid stuff like the paint I was talking about. Or it could be big stuff like appliances. Big ones, furnaces, boilers, hot water tanks. Could be roofs. Oh, the roof is leaking. We need it replaced. Ah, just patch it. Seen that? So deferred maintenance is when you pick something that needs to be done and decide not to do it. Or you put a band-aid on it, figuring you're going to do it later, and somehow you're going to print the money that you don't have today to pay for something that's going to cost you two or three times more than it would have. Because in case you haven't looked around, nothing's getting cheaper. Especially construction labor. So the other part you need to look at with deferred maintenance, when you're thinking about doing it, the first question in your brain should be, what's this going to cost me later? I have a leaky roof. I want to just patch it. I can't ignore it because my tenant's complaining. Or maybe you don't care that the tenant's complaining and you just let it go and then there's mold and lawsuits and eviction stuff and just you just turned a $150, $200 patch job into a $25,000 to $100,000 lawsuit because of mold, because they lawyered up. Good job. Hope that works out for you. Let me know. Let me know. Podcast at tcomethod.com. That's worst case scenario, but I've seen it. It's even better when it gets in the news. And you get raked over the coals in the news. Your name, your family, your reputation, your business. But other things that cause damage. Furnace goes out. Or doesn't go out. Let's say you've got a 25-year-old furnace in one of these apartment complexes. Or a 25-year-old furnace in a single-family house rental. Or a, you know, a duplex or quad or whatever. You then ignore that when you purchase the property. Knowing it'll come up eventually. And you're like, oh, I'll just wait. And then it's... Christmas Eve, two in the morning, and you get a call. It's 31 degrees in the house and pipes are freezing. Or even worse, they're on vacation somewhere and the furnace goes out. Their renter's insurance ain't going to touch it because they set the thermostat. And it's automatically controlled on a timer. And the furnace is just dead. You don't find out about it. So you've got two things that could happen. If they're home, you get the phone call on Christmas Eve. Where the hell are you going to find a guy to replace a furnace on Christmas Eve at 2 in the morning? Secondarily, what are you going to do when those pipes start freezing? So what did that furnace actually cost you? You had the opportunity to replace it when you bought the property. You probably could have pushed on the seller for a concession because it was so dang old. And instead, you tried to get away with it. And maybe you got away with it for a year or two, but did it pay for itself? Because if you had installed it a new one, maybe it would have been six to ten grand. Right? Assuming there was a bunch of stuff that had to be done and it was really dated and ductwork needed updating and all that stuff, it could be closer to ten. Now you've got water damage. You've got an emergency call to put heat in that house because guess what? You can't have a rental with no heat. Pretty sure most states have laws about habitation and living conditions for their tenants. Some don't. Some don't. Those are also the states that don't really need to worry about the furnace. <laughs> In most cases. So now what? Your six to $10,000 repair that you decided to defer 
is now 20? Maybe more, depending on how much water damage is there. Could be 30. And you're going to lose rent because you're either going to be on the hook to put somebody up somewhere in a hotel or in another apartment on your dime while they pay their rent or you're going to not collect rent and they're going to leave. Because uh got news for you. I don't care what the lease says. Nowadays, after the pandemic, if they're not living in that property because of something that you could have fixed or avoided, you're not going to get paid rent. Anyway, deferred maintenance is a nightmare. And deferred maintenance is happening if you're neglecting anything that needs updating or repair in a property. If you're only fixing roofs, literally I had somebody say this to me. There's no deferred maintenance on that apartment complex. They just put a new roof on. Meanwhile, it's on the frequent visit list from the PD. It's priced 25% below market for a C property. And it literally looks like... Yeah, we're not going to get into it. It needs a lot of work, like 2 to $5 million worth of work to bring it up to market. And I say 2 to $5 million because it's like a three-year play. Maybe two, but probably closer to three. Three-year play with holding costs at the interest rates we're at right now to get an apartment complex stabilized is a really big ask. So, anyway. Legitimately, if your apartment complex hasn't had an update since it was completed in 1997, 1997 is the year that I graduated high school, okay? I'm 43. You have deferred maintenance if everything in there is original to 1997. End of conversation. But mismanagement comes in many forms. Most of it is, we've always done it this way. And now, in 2023, it's, that property is like a four cap. Yeah, no, it's not. No. Well, I mean, if you look at our numbers, it's at a six cap at whatever million. No, it's not, actually. Not even close, because you've been deferring maintenance for probably 10 years. Like, I would love to see your, your trailing 12 from... 2019 to 2020 or 2018 to 2019. Let's keep the pandemic out of it completely because everybody's trailing 12 during the pandemic went right to hell. So show, show me what you got. Show me what you were doing pre-pandemic and let's look at your numbers today and see what you're really doing. Walk in the property, it sure as heck looks like you haven't done a darn thing to it other than the major repairs that need to happen so you can keep a CFO active in the city of Rochester. What can you do about deferred maintenance? First, you need to be aware of it. You need to be aware of the impact it can have to your bottom line, to your cash flow projections. Right? You can't ignore it. It'll bury you or potentially bury you. There's probably going to be, because of deferred maintenance, because of just doing the major things or doing nothing in some cases, there's going to be secondary damage. I've seen studies and reports done most of it's anecdotal it's not like they're doing peer-reviewed studies for real estate 
deferred maintenance. It's just not a thing. But it's not unusual to see reports that deferring maintenance on a property can cost you 200%, 300%. I've seen 600% in one report more than just fixing it outright. Because there's a lot of costs that go into operating a property. And when something goes wrong, it usually cascades. You get a water leak. Okay, so you got to repair where the water's coming in, so there's a cost of that. But if the water leak goes on for too long, you can have mold, you can have rot, you can have mildew, you can have sagging drywall, you can have other secondary issues that happen that you can't see until you're ready to open the wall up to do something else. And it can spiral out of control very quickly. So you go from a 150 roof patch repair until you can get a new roof done to multiple thousands of dollars pretty much overnight, but typically it takes a couple of weeks because water doesn't do everything immediately. Depends on quantity and flow rates and the ability for it to dry out, how tightly sealed those cavities are that the water gets into, whether or not it's going to grow mold or mildew or whatever. So there's a bunch of different things that come into play for deferred maintenance. On the appliances side, for the love of God, these used appliance places that put 30-day warranties on their appliances that they sell. For one, by the time you actually look at the warranty for the stuff they sell, the 30 days they give you, versus buying something new that's actually designed for a rental, you're probably better off buying new 98% of the time. I'm going to get lambasted for this conversation by people who swear by used appliances. Most of them are used appliance showrooms, but I'm going to get lambasted by them. You do realize that almost every software suite now that exists to manage properties has the ability to enter serial numbers and dates of in-service for appliances that you put in the units, assuming you provide appliances. If you're not providing appliances, I think you need to have a conversation with your maintenance guys about how much damage is done to the apartment moving appliances in and out. If you can provide appliances, do it. Just make sure they don't get stolen. Again, you can put the serial numbers and dates of in-service into your property management software. Why do you do that? Because manufacturer's warranties on appliances are not a waste of time. You may not be able to get it repaired in a timely fashion if it's like a refrigerator that goes dead, it's an oven that goes dead before Thanksgiving, like things that are time sensitive that you should probably have one in stock. If you're an apartment complex, you probably should have one new one on hand. But they die. You just take it to the shop and you wait for the repair guy to show up and they fix it for free. And then you have a working relatively new appliance with zero cost to you outside of making the phone call and moving the old appliance out and the new appliance in that you had sitting in your shop waiting to be installed when somebody's fridge died. I will say that that doesn't work all the time. If you use 
import appliances, you know what I'm talking about. You're buying import appliances. The chances of you getting it repaired in a timely fashion are slim to none. Sometimes you won't be able to get them repaired at all, in which case they should be giving you a new appliance. However, your best bet is a domestically produced strong repair network appliance brand that doesn't break the bank. There's really only two players that meet that requirement in the U.S., and neither of them pay me, so I am not going to actually say either of their names. Podcast at TCOMethod.com. I'll take your sponsorship money. Anyway. So, deferring maintenance is everything. Everything. And it can be as bad for the property as being understaffed. It can be as bad for the property as having bad tenants. There's always going to be the crazy cat lady where you have a pet policy that says, I allow two animals, they can't weigh more than 15 pounds or whatever it is. You know, one dog up to 30 pounds, two cats, total weight combined, 30 pounds, whatever it is, whatever your policy is. And then there's the crazy cat lady who says she has a cat. And then it's really like three or four cats. And then one of them has kittens. And then within a few weeks, you can walk down the hallway and smell the cat pee because she doesn't clean the litter boxes. And eventually they just pee on the carpets, soaks into the floor. And then you're stuck with a complete remediation by cutting out and replacing plywood after the carpet comes up. Good times. Worst one I've ever seen was a single-family rental to a crazy cat lady who had 77 cats. She died in the house. The cats ate her. That's love. The cats ate her. And that wasn't the most gruesome part. Well, no, actually, it was the most gruesome part, and it's terrible, and nobody should ever have that happen. However, it happened. Can't change it now. And the urine in the house was so bad that all of the floor joists were rotting and the plywood was soft. You stepped on this floor and it squished like a sponge. It was the literally you had to wear goggles and a respirator to go into the house. They ended up just condemning it because the, the joists were shot. And it was a, I don't know, it was a like a mid-50s uh, Cape Cod style rental in the middle of a, a city in uh, central New York. And yeah, it was bad. It was bad and it was gross. But deferred maintenance comes in a lot of forms. One of them is allowing a tenant to do that. Like it's not directly deferred maintenance, but it kind of is because you allowed the tenant to just uh, beat the crap out of your property for how long did it take for it to get that bad? Gross. Anyway, what else goes sideways with deferred maintenance? Everything. Everything goes sideways with deferred maintenance. If you're doing deferred maintenance and it's a normal part of your plan to, to meet the goals of your budget, 
Your budget is wrong. I don't care what else is going on in your business. You are in the business of providing housing. You are in the business of maintaining buildings in a fashion that is suitable for human life to exist in. That's your job. If you cannot do that and make money, find another job. It's a pretty simple concept. If you're not hitting your goals and you're not hitting your numbers on your budget, there's a lot of places that you're probably doing something wrong. Assuming that your tenant is paying their rent, maybe your rent's too low. Maybe you're paying too much for labor. Doubtful. In this particular instance. Maybe you're upside down on the note. Maybe you didn't talk to somebody who could prepare you for what the real cost of your insurance and your utilities and your property taxes and all the other things that go into your NOI. Maybe. The reality is that you should be able to operate a property and cash flow regularly without having to defer maintenance in any case. You should have cash reserves. You should have a budget for capital expenditures that looks at the useful life in two ways. One, the actual useful life of the finishes and products in the apartment for the class of tenant that you're renting to. If it's a C, a B, an A, luxury, whatever it may be, your interior finishes should last long enough so that they're free and clear before the next tenant moves in or before the next rehab. Whatever it is. Your capital expenditure plan should be looking at exactly that. But also, if you have a 10 or 15 year old roof, you should start putting money in a cash reserve for a new roof. If you have a 10 or 15 year old furnace, you should probably have a capital expenditure plan with money set aside for a new furnace. Same thing with hot water tanks, same thing with boilers, same thing with flooring inside the, the, the apartment, same thing with you know decks and porches if they're getting to be 30, 40 years old. There's a lot of things that are very much predictable, very much have a predictable lifespan and failure rate that you can plan your budget around if you're doing it correctly. Now, you can't do that if you don't have process costing. You can't do that if you don't keep track of what maintenance is, is happening where and what it costs you and what's being used. And if you're not holding a property for longer than two or three years, none of it matters, right? There's always the two to three year value add player where you come in, fix it up, lease it up, and sell it with meat on a bone. Or maybe you come in, fix it up, lease it up, and cash flow it for five years and then sell it before it, before it needs another capex because that's going to be the meat on the bone, right? Another market rate upgrade at year seven. So whoever buys this property will cash flow off of your work that you did in years one and two for the last couple of years of useful life for what you installed into those units when you did your, your value add. 
there's a lot of moving parts in real estate. Not everyone completely understands how they all work. And the unfortunate reality is that most of the HGTV podcast crowd doesn't give a reasonable expectation of what that looks like or a reasonable expectation of what operating that business sustainably is because there's no money in it for them to do that. They're looking to sell coaching. They're looking to sell books. They're looking to get podcast sponsors. They're looking to attract anybody and everybody who wants to create freedom and generate wealth for themselves and their families. Cool aspiration, but the sad reality is that probably 80% to 90% of people who try to get into real estate investing fall flat on their face and they don't get back up after the first time. The people who make it also fall flat on their face, but they get back up and they learn from their mistakes and they learn that, wow, it's not exactly how it looks on Instagram, is it? It's not exactly how it looks on those YouTube or HGTV videos. Crap, this is a lot of work. Anyway, don't defer maintenance. That's the end of my, my episode for this week. Or no, it's Tuesday. It's the end of my episode for Tuesday. I will be back in a couple days with another episode about something equally NOI related. But I don't have a cool name for the episode yet, so I'm not going to say what it is. Have a great week. Go do real estate. Like the show on Apple iTunes or Spotify. Share it with your friends. Leave a comment on the episode if you agree with what I said. If you're somebody who defers maintenance everywhere and operates all their properties at 30% and puts it out on Instagram and Twitter, God bless you. I think you're full of shit, but good on you, buddy. Have a great one.